0: Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that
1: none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're going to talk
0: about a very important topic that is true for every Single one of us, except maybe Brittany. (laughs) She just looked at me like, What is going on here? What do you mean? (laughs) No, no, including Brittany. So we want you to listen very carefully to my next words. You are not a burden. This very important topic is what we're going to explore today. And we're going to reflect on what it means to feel like a burden why we might feel like a burden, how society's pressures can make us feel like a burden, what we can do to stop feeling like a burden, and the ways that we can find value
1: in ourselves. We feel that this topic is so incredibly important. I mean, important enough that I'm going to say it again, you are not a burden. Are you saying that to yourself because I called you
0: a burden at the beginning of the episode?
1: Yes. (laughs) good,
0: Brittany, I like it. You say it to yourself. You <laughs> sing that song.
1: I am not a burden. Oh, of course. You have to make it into a musical number every time.
0: <laughs> I said sing that song. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> My New York City Broadway premiere. Oh, what? Wow. Or we could go for the heavy metal version. Oh, you're not a You're not a
1: burden. <laughs> I don't know which I prefer, honestly. I mean, I'm a big fan of the second one. <laughs> It's like in, in times where I'm really feeling like a burden, if I just scream it at myself, maybe that will help me feel better next time.
0: <laughs> yeah, it'll be like screamo. Yeah. Just like emo, screamo. Yeah,
1: screamo it at myself. <laughs> in the mirror with my finger pointing at myself. <laughs> I like that tactic. I'm gonna try that.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, wait. And then you have the opera version.
1: You are not a <laughs> <laughs> sounded more like a ghost, but
0: anyway. <laughs> well, I was trying not to break anyone's eardrums Going with off the, the rails. microphone.
1: <laughs> oh she's not stopping (laughs) oh lord all right i'll make sure that we get some kind of recording artist out here to listen to this (laughs) podcast for you so the point is say it to yourself how you choose but this is really really
0: important to know that you are not a burden you might feel like a burden sometimes with endometriosis because many people with chronic illness do end up feeling like a burden. In fact, you might be mentally arguing with us right now, and you might be thinking of all of the reasons why you are a burden on others. You might be thinking, well, yeah, sure, they're not a burden, and they say that I'm not a burden, but I know
1: all the reasons why I'm a burden. Alternatively, you may not even know if you feel like you're a burden. You could be thinking, instead of, I know I'm a burden, you could be thinking, I don't think that I'm a burden to people. I don't feel like I'm a burden to others. But you might find yourself doing or saying things that that are more indicative of a burden-like behavior. So what I mean by that is somebody who may apologize often for things that are out of their control. Like saying, I'm sorry I'm always sick. Or, I'm sorry you have to help me with this. I'm sorry I can't go to the store. I'm sorry I can't make dinner. I'm sorry I can't be intimate tonight. Something that tends to go
0: hand in hand with apologizing too much is this overwhelming sense of guilt. Like maybe you feel guilty because your partner had to help you wash your hair because you were too fatigued to wash your hair on your own. Because let's be honest, I mean, hair washing is really tiring. And that's why I, full disclosure, only do it twice a month. (laughs) I only do it once a week. So, (laughs) you know, it's fair. (laughs) The other day, my boyfriend was like, could you think you wash your hair a little more often? Because it kind of smells when we're up close. And I was like, well, then don't stick your nose in my hair. I mean, I don't <laughs> or know. Or wash it for me. <laughs> yeah. Like, sorry, man.
1: <laughs> also, your hair is the texture where it doesn't look or it doesn't smell even when you're like talking to you in a conversation. It's not like, oh, look at the girl with the dirty hair. You're fine. Just keep doing Well, them.
0: it's like when we're cuddling and I'm like the little spoon and his head is like in the back of my okay, hair. Okay, that's fair.
1: That's fair then. And then I'm like, well, then turn your head. It smells like he- like it, scalp. I don't know what you exactly, want exactly. Like
0: well, That's exactly what you said. It's like, it smells like scalp. I was like, that's because it's my scalp. I mean, I'm glad, wow,
1: newsflash. I'm glad it doesn't smell Anatomy. like vagina or yeah, something. right. <laughs> oh, God. Then maybe I'd wash it more often. It doesn't smell like butt crack. All right. <laughs> it smells like my scalp. <laughs> Here's one I have a lot of trouble with is I always feel a lot of guilt when I have to ask my workplace if I can work from home because I'm having a really heavy pain day.
0: I have told Brittany over and over and over to not feel guilty. I'm working on it, okay? Brittany's working on it, but unfortunately, she feels a lot of guilt. And then sometimes, oftentimes, most times, that guilt (laughs) prevents her from asking for what she needs. I tend to feel a lot of guilt when I need help, like when I need someone to accompany me to doctor's appointments. For example, when I had my colonoscopy, they said that they wouldn't do the colonoscopy unless I had someone accompany me to the appointment, which was at 6.30 in the morning, because I don't know why they love to schedule colonoscopies bright and early at the butt crack. (laughs) You get it. <laughs> you just make yourself laugh. Delayed
1: laugh, Brittany. I was like, did well, Brittany that's get that's such a it? normal joke. The butt crack of dawn. Yeah, but I'm talking about how they're going to stick a camera in my butt crack. Oh, I see. I didn't get the pun. Now it's funnier. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> Brittany. Pay attention. Pay attention. I was attention. thinking colon, not butt crack. I'm sorry. True. That's true.
0: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but to reach the colon, the camera has to go through the butt I crack. I know how
1: anatomy works. Well, sometimes. It's debatable. <laughs>
0: So I needed someone to go with me, and my boyfriend travels a lot for work, and so he wasn't in the state during that time. And so I asked Brittany if she would love to accompany me at 6.30 in the morning on a work day. So she was going to rise and shine, baby. Bring me to the appointment, which was supposed to end by 8.30, and then go to work afterwards. And, of course, she said yes because she's such a wonderful, nice person.
1: I would like to interrupt for a second. But I felt
0: so guilty. (laughs) And I was dying inside about how much guilt that I felt. And I couldn't stop saying to Brittany, I am so sorry. They have to wake up so early. Thank you so much for helping me. I am so sorry. I'm never going to ask you to do this kind of thing. And it should only be one time. It was overwhelming.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what I wanted to interrupt about was you just said, oh, I asked her if she would love to accompany me. And I was going to say, that was not how that went. It was a lot of apologizing. And I'm so sorry that I have to ask you to do this. I can't. I can't go without somebody. I need somebody. And you're the person that I trust to do it. And I'm so sorry. I'll never ask you to accompany me anywhere again. I can pay you. Can. I'll pay you for gas. <laughs> you were like trying to bribe me to bring you to your colonoscopy. I'll pay you $20 an hour if you'll just Literally, bring. you were going to pay me. And my face, you can't see it in the box here. But I had the are you gang kidding me face on because that's just ridiculous. I took her to her colonoscopy. I am not a morning person. But I took her because I love her. I was also at every surgery, all the appointments, but she feels guilty every single time, even though I show up excited to be there.
0: Because I'm a burden. Who's excited
1: to go get a colonoscopy? I mean, probably somebody, but I don't know them. (laughs) (laughs) But I never feel like it's burdensome to support someone you love. But Amy, that's something she really struggles with. Something I also used to struggle with a lot, but I'm getting better at it now, is breaking plans with people when I know that my body's incapable of keeping them. So, you know, I, I have the guilt of feeling like a flake or like a bad friend or like I'm breaking a promise when it's not my fault that my body's not allowing me to get up or walk. It's interesting because the emotion
0: of guilt is normally something that you have rise up in you when you do something wrong. So, for example, when I was 16 years old, I lied to my parents, and I borrowed the car without their permission. (laughs) Oopsie. (laughs) And I lied. You know, I lied to them, and I went behind their back. And so afterwards, I didn't get caught, by the way. Thank you. But sneaky sneaky. my mom does not listen to this podcast. And mommy, if you do, that was, you know, (laughs) 19 years ago. She survived. (laughs) So we were on the road driving. I felt really guilty. This guilt was eating away at me. We came back and I was in my room and I was so nervous I was going to get caught. And I felt so guilty. And the guilt that I felt because I knew that I had done something wrong prevented me from doing it again in the future. Like, I never, ever wanted to take the car without permission again because... That horrible feeling of guilt was just like eating me alive. So it helped me to understand and take responsibility for what I did wrong.
1: It makes sense that you felt guilt in that situation because you did something that was against the rules or disobedient and you felt a certain way about it. And that makes sense. But it doesn't really make sense for us to feel guilt about things that are completely beyond our control, that we didn't do wrong. It's not wrong that I have so much fatigue I can't get up out of bed. It's there's nothing wrong with that.
0: Well, I mean, there's something wrong with that yeah, on like a, a life level, <laughs> but there's <laughs> not, not something the, wrong with that on like the decision-making personal, level. <laughs> yeah, on a personal like, I'm a bad person, I did something wrong level.
1: I think this guilt more stems from the need as humans to always belong or always perform at the expected level or always to meet what's expected of us. So when we can't get to all the dishes, we feel like we haven't met our expectation. When we have to break plans, we feel like we're breaking a friend's trust or we're going to be kicked out of the group. So a lot of this guilt stems more from that than from the true sense of guilt, which is when we've done something wrong. So to really be clear here,
0: there is nothing wrong with needing help from another person. There is nothing wrong with needing to ask your work for accommodations because of your endometriosis. There is nothing wrong with breaking plans with a friend because you're feeling too sick to go out. There is nothing inherently wrong with you as a person for having to experience these situations and what oftentimes feels like limitations because of our endometriosis. So. Feeling like a burden or having feelings of guilt because we feel like a burden or because we feel that we're going to be an annoyance or weigh down someone else, it can have real repercussions on our own lives and on how we feel and on the way that we interact with other people. I know in my own case, I used to be so awful at setting boundaries. And that's why we did one of the episodes a while back on setting boundaries, because I was a person who did not know how to say no. I wanted to always do what I could to please others because I felt like my endometriosis was so tiring to my friends and to my family and to my boyfriend that whenever anything was needed, like I would go ahead and do it without saying that I was feeling fatigued or that I didn't want to or that. Maybe they could help me. So I wanted to feel that I was being really helpful to other people. So if my friend asked me, hey, can you help me move? And that was the weekend that my period was coming. I didn't want to tell her, no, I can't help you move because I already felt like endo was such a burden and a drain on our relationship. So I would take a bunch of painkillers and then I would go and I would help her move when what I really needed to be doing was in my home resting. My boyfriend would cook us dinner, and then I would offer to do the dishes, which is very normal, like one person cooks. Usually one person does the dishes. That's a very normal dynamic in many households. But after we would eat dinner, I would feel sick. I would have stabbing pains. I would have constipation. I would have gas. I would feel fatigued. I was in no shape to stand in the kitchen for 25 minutes washing the dishes, but I never wanted to say, I'm sorry, honey, I'm feeling really fatigued today. Thank you for making dinner, but can you also wash the dishes too? I always wanted to please other people. And part of that was because I inherently felt like a burden. I felt like I had to go above and beyond to be that person who was always there for other people. But what that was really doing was it was running me ragged. It was making me more sick than I already was. It was making it so that I didn't have time to recover from my flares or from my fatigue Ultimately, it was really bad for my health. And in a way, it created a lot of resentment that I had towards these people because I didn't know how to say no. And then I
1: felt like I was being taken advantage of when they had no idea that I was feeling so badly. As Amy mentioned, I struggle with feeling guilt around asking for what I need at work. And something I still struggle with, but I'm getting better, is saying yes to things when I really should say no. So things like, working overtime even though my period is there or I'm really exhausted or saying yes to a work trip when I know that it's going to happen during my period or I know that traveling just makes me feel really ill in general or I don't ask to work from home because I feel like someone's going to perceive me as lazy or unproductive or that I can't do my job or that I need too many things, I'm too needy. Well, you are kind and needy.
0: Well, I learned saying from that. You. Saying that as someone who's a really good friend <laughs> of yours, I mean, you're you. like a tiny bit needy,
1: <laughs> but not as needy as me. So <laughs> the thing is, like, you know, I push myself to do all those things, even though I really should not be. And what happens, Brittany, as a consequence of pushing yourself at work? Um, I get really burned out and sick off of my stress. And. And then I get sicker, and the pain is worse, and my periods are worse. And then I have to take time off because I'm really sick. And and I've noticed that when my stress level is really high at work, my periods really irregular, and the PMS symptoms last for longer, and they're way more intense. And I'm actually now in even more debilitating pain than if I had just kept my stress to a minimum. Yes,
0: Brittany, I've had a growth moment. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany and I are so good. We, like, drill these things because we have different issues. Like, Brittany has no problem setting boundaries with friends and family, whereas I do. Where I have no problem setting boundaries at work, and Brittany does. So we're, like, really good partners in crime because she'd be like, I really want to ask work to work from home. Like, well, then do it, Brittany. If you don't do it, I'm going to go do it on your behalf, and that's going to (laughs) be embarrassing because they're going to be like, why is Amy, her work wife and best
1: friend, asking for accommodations when Brittany should be asking? But alternatively... (laughs) Friends and family, I got her back. So we balance each other out, you know.
0: <laughs> so these examples are to show that, you know, we're often putting other people first before our own needs, even if by putting someone else's needs first, it comes at a devastating cost to us. And the reason why is because of that feeling of guilt, of that feeling of being a burden, of that feeling that I don't want to disappoint someone, of that feeling that I don't want to be a bother I don't want to be a drain. But here's the thing. Those are just untrue self-perceptions. Those are just false stories that your mind is telling you. Because having a chronic illness, having endometriosis, it doesn't make you a bother or a drain or a burden. We want you to know that you don't have to, quote unquote, make up for being a burden. You don't have to prove yourself or push yourself to hit some standard or do things that you don't want to do because you feel that you need to overcompensate for being a supposed burden or just for having endo. Be it in your relationships, at your workplace, you have every right to set boundaries and say no. You have every right to ask for what you need and you have every right to rest. You are not a burden, and we want you to know that, and we want you to value yourself for the beautiful, caring, and loving human being that you are. So now let's go ahead and change tones and hear a really ridiculous story about me feeling like a burden and then doing something (laughs) that, because I felt like a burden, then actually had consequences that actually turned me
1: into a burden. These are my favorite stories because they're just so plentiful. Like, you know how Cinderella turns? (laughs) They really are. Oh, my God.
0: So it's just so ridiculous. But I'm so happy that all the listeners can learn from my mistakes. And luckily, I have learned from my mistakes. And I think that's one of the really big takeaways here is that we grow wiser from our experiences. And that is why at 35 years old, I am just so wise is because I have (laughs) screwed up so many things so many times that I'm just like, ooh.
1: Ooh, I better get better at that. Ooh, I could use some personal <laughs> growth there. Because if you hadn't grown from any of those, you would have probably won award for idiot of the century. So. <laughs> well,
0: this one is really good. So,
1: all right, I was living in Japan with my boyfriend at
0: the time. I was undiagnosed with endometriosis. So there was just a lot of feeling like I had all these problems that didn't have any justifiable reason. And I think that really takes a psychological toll on people living through that, as many of you listening are probably aware. To make a long story a little bit shorter, but probably still really long, I was having really major bloating while I was in Japan and it was endobelly, but it was to such a point and it was going on for so many weeks continuously that people were just coming up and congratulating me on being pregnant. My coworkers kept asking me if I was pregnant. The high school students at the school that I work at were coming up and touching my belly and asking me, if I was pregnant with my boyfriend, who also worked at the same school system, thank you. And it was just getting really tiring, and it was really embarrassing. And I was like, I really need to go to the doctor because there is something wrong with my belly.
1: So, oh, I wonder what it was. <laughs> endometriosis. but <laughs> <no>, did know. <laughs> no one knew that.
0: So I went to the gastrointestinal doctor, and they decided they were going to do a colonoscopy. Shocker. The colonoscopy found nothing wrong with me. But, alas. So I had to have the appointment very early in the morning. <gasps> oh, I see a trend. Wait, didn't I already talk about having a colonoscopy <laughs>
1: with Brittany? I've had four.
0: Trend. I've had four colonoscopies. That's because, a lot of cameras in your butt. And every single one has found nothing. So because there was nothing to see. They don't
1: just find nothing. Because I had ended on of, the outside. All the op reports are always like, wow, smooth, perfect intestines, beautiful, 10 out of 10. Like she could get some award for her colon. <laughs> like I just... <laughs> It's not just that it's OK. On the inside. <laughs> yeah, the inside. The, the outside, outside
0: was, covered Different story. In, was covered in endo. <laughs> but on the inside, it was
1: beautiful. Beautiful
0: on the inside. It was beautiful. So I had to go to the colonoscopy. And this colonoscopy that I had in Japan, they didn't require anyone to come with me. But honestly, they should have. I don't know why they didn't require someone because I didn't realize, but I was going to come out of the colonoscopy like really woozy and disoriented from the anesthesia. And it was going to actually be really hard to get home on my own. My boyfriend offered to go with me to the colonoscopy, but dealing with all my feelings of burden and shame and guilt, I insisted many times that he did not need to accompany me. Are you sure? I can go with you. It's really early. Amy, why don't you let me go with you? No, no, I'll be fine. I can go by my... Stop babying me. I'm going to be just
1: fine. I feel like the other shoe is about to drop.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to bother him. I didn't want him to have to ride into Tokyo with me. It was like an hour on the train. I didn't want him to have to go so early in the morning. I didn't want him to have to take a day off of work like I had to take off. I just, I didn't want to be annoying. You know, I didn't want to be that annoying girlfriend that always needs something. And at that time, I was having a lot of stabbing pain in my intestines. And sometimes when I was getting Off of work and in the train station, I was calling him on the phone and like asking him to come get me at the train station and piggyback me home. We didn't have cars. We went everywhere on foot and in train. So I felt like I was already asking a lot of him. And I just didn't want this to be one more thing. Even though he was so happy to accompany me and he insisted and insisted, I insisted, no, no, no,
1: no, 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 I'm fine. Breaking news. She was not fine. I kind of want to point out something that I just heard you talk about, which was that your partner at the time was insisting that he actually did want to go with you to the colonoscopy. He wanted to help you. He wanted to come with you to support you and be there with you and help you through the appointment, right? Yes, that's why what happened after
0: was so (laughs) awful because he really, really wanted to go, and I insisted that he did
1: not need to go. Well, I think what's really important to recognize in that moment is that you didn't listen to him. I don't mean you have to listen to what he says and what you think is not true. That's not what I mean. Is more, Instead of listening to the 10 insistences that he gave you that he wanted to help you and wanted to be there, all you heard was he doesn't actually want to be there. He's just saying that. So instead of actually listening to what he said, you were inferring something that was untrue on what he was saying. I couldn't hear him because all I could hear were my own fears. Your fears and your assumptions of what somebody felt far outweighed what they actually felt and what they actually said. I'll tell you a little secret. When I went with Amy to her colonoscopy,
0: okay, look, Brittany, colonoscopies bring out the worst in me. Okay, <laughs> you're have to poop all night long. You have to it a camera in your butt at the butt crack of dawn. Okay, it's not anyone's best moment. That's
1: fair, but it's also...
0: What's your secret? I'm so nervous. The, the secret applies, applies to more than nervously. just the
1: colonoscopy, okay? <laughs> okay. When I went to the colonoscopy and both surgeries and drove you Wait, home... Wait, hold on. I feel like Brittany wants an award right now. No, no, hold no, no, on. no. That's not the point. Hold on. Everyone snap for Brittany. <laughs> See, you're making an assumption about what <laughs> I want. I was happy to do that and felt wholly and enthusiastically when I agreed. I was enthusiastically agreeing to do that because I love you. But all that you gave me in return was apologies and excuses as to why you had to ask me and constant apologizing and, I know you really don't want to do this. Thank you for doing this for me. I'm so sorry that I have to have you do this. And so much so to the point where taking you to the appointment wasn't the burden, listening to you apologize about me taking you was the burden, (laughs)
0: I can acknowledge that now, like looking back, I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know, and I agree that when you you, like when you want to ask someone to do something, you can ask in a very confident manner. And then when they say yes, you can show sincere gratitude. That's what I try to do now. Like if I ask Brittany, you're on your way to Target, can you please pick me up some pads? And Brittany says yes. Like I don't fall over myself apologizing anymore. I just like when Brittany comes to my house with pads because you know, I'm at home and I can't go get them. I just I thank her very sincerely. And thank you, Brittany, for doing that for me. Like, I'm really appreciative that you did that. You're a good friend. And I think that giving that response is a lot different than Being so filled with insecurities that I need to express them all to Brittany. And then she has to give me this constant reassurance that it's okay that I asked her. Just kicking myself in the butt
1: there. (laughs) In the butt crack. I might as well kick my own camera in my butt. Oof. (laughs) That's painful. Well, I think the interesting thing to note is that from the insecurity and fear of asking somebody to do something for you or to assist you with something, you're so scared that they're thinking, oh, I really don't want to do this for them. This is really annoying. I really hate that they asked me to do this. Likely they aren't thinking that. And so you're trying to overcompensate by making sure they know how sorry you are. But when a person doesn't actually feel bad for doing something and that action happens, I actually started to feel uncomfortable and kind of almost... I almost felt like I shouldn't have said yes because I, I, by saying yes, I made Amy feel so bad for having to ask me. Somehow it was like my fault now. (laughs) That's just so funny. I should have said no so she wouldn't have felt so bad about it. (laughs) So she was trying to protect me from feeling like she was a burden. But instead I felt uncomfortable that I had said yes because now I was making her feel sad and sorry. When if she had just expressed resounding gratitude, I would have just felt so happy that I was able to support her. So the really tough and sad part is, is that that action of over apologizing or overcompensating has the opposite effect of what we think it has. And it's actually a far more damaging effect than just asking for help and then responding with gratitude after the help is given.
0: Okay, I'm getting flashbacks to that day that I asked you. Actually, you remember I was at the doctor's office. They were like, you're going to need a chaperone. And I was like, oh, my God, who's going to want to take me at 630 in the morning? That's not my partner. Uh, no one. <laughs> Brittany. And then I called you up. And then you answered, you were like, hello, because we never call each other. She was like, is this an emergency? I was, I was like, are you okay? Hi, <laughs> of, because I'm at the doctor and they have to schedule my colonoscopy and I really need a bro. And I was wondering if you wanted to do it, but it's 6.30 in the morning and I know you have to work and I know it's a Thursday. And I know you're going to be really tired and I know you're not a morning person. And I know it's going to be really hard to get up and you're probably going to feel nauseous because you always feel nauseous when you first get up. And you're not gonna have time to eat breakfast. But I was just wondering, and I'm so sorry to ask you, it's just I have no one else to ask, and my family was here and asked them, but they're not here. So I was just like, I'm not sure if you would feel uncomfortable and if you dated it, it would be just fine, but it was just if we didn't mind, I would love to just I'm ask having you. flashbacks now <laughs> to the time I was asked. No, but like literally that's what it went. Like that's it probably it took me like. like ten minutes to just ask the question and then I
1: think I had to say, So you have a colonoscopy at six thirty you want me to bring you? Is that what you're asking me? <laughs> Yes, that was essentially how it went the first time. And the whole car ride there, kind of the same thing, repeated on a loop.
0: <laughs> oh, God. I was so annoying.
1: Oh, I'm geez. still here, so. <laughs> oh, God. I've changed so much. So since you've changed so much, if you were to ask me now, how would that go?
0: I would call you up and I would very confidently say, Hi, Brittany. I have a colonoscopy scheduled at 630 in the morning on Thursday. And I know that is really early, and I understand this might be a lot to ask. So if you are willing, I would be really appreciative if you would accompany me to my colonoscopy and we could have fun together in the car right on the way there as I fart and pass gas. (laughs) Oh, joy. (laughs) And on the car right on the way back as I'm all woozy from the anesthesia recovery. Does that sound like a fun Thursday morning, 6.30 a.m. date with me? I'll buy you a coffee.
1: No, I'm good. Huh? I'm good. No, I don't want to help you. <laughs> oh.
0: Okay. No problem.
1: What do you mean you don't want to help me? I do want to help Hangs you. up, phone drives to Brittany's
0: house and throttles her bang, like bang, Homer Simpson to
1: <laughs> Help me, please. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Of course I'd help you.
0: The way that we ask for help can be so key, not only to the person saying yes and giving us help, but the way that both parties feel. Both the way that I feel and the way that Brittany feels about asking for help, about giving the help, about our relationship. I feel like the way that I asked Brittany the second time is more of a collaboration. If we're two friends.
1: We're a team. Oh, a colonoscopy team. <laughs> Aww, beautiful.
0: <laughs> then the way that I asked the first time where it's more like puts Brittany in a position of power and me in a position of weakness. And all of my language highlighting the fact that Brittany's doing the super special favor for poor me who is so helpless. So there's a real difference in language. And of course, if you're going to use that example to ask your friend to drive you to a colonoscopy, you know, you don't have to make the request and be like funny. That's just something that that's
1: just us. (laughs) That's just something that I like doing.
0: But just being strong and confident
1: when you ask for the things that you need. So back to Amy not asking for the things that she needs and not listening to the, the help that is given to her. I'm sure all the listeners want to know what happened <laughs> after your colonoscopy in Japan.
0: Oh, my God. I forgot that I was telling that story earlier.
1: That was the whole point. Yeah, you're right.
0: Okay, let's turn this into a dramatic storytelling. Ooh, the best kind. I got to the hospital. I had the anesthesia. I had a colonoscopy. There was nothing, quote, unquote, wrong with me. It felt depressing. After like 30 minutes, they said, okay, you're free to leave. And as I was walking to the counter to pay for my colonoscopy. That was so cheap. Thank you, Japanese National Health Care. You're so wonderful. A miracle. Not like in America, I paid like $700 out of pocket for that (laughs) stupid (laughs) thing with insurance. In Japan, I paid like 50 bucks. No, seriously. As I was walking to the counter to pay for my very cheap, but found nothing wrong with me, colonoscopy. I felt tired and woozy, probably from the anesthesia, but I was very woozy and I was very confused and I had no idea what was happening, but I realized there was a chair and I wanted to sit in it. My butt gravitated to the chair. I sat for a long time because I fell asleep and didn't realize. (laughs) And as I slept, my body crumpled over and I was all like a little rag doll. And when I woke up without knowing it, I was still confused and woozy, but I felt like I was fine. And I got up not knowing (laughs) that you were not fine. (laughs) (laughs) That half of my body, the right half, where I had been all crumpled over myself in a very uncomfortable small chair in a Japanese hospital waiting room, I didn't realize that part of my body had gone numb and fallen asleep. Oh, joy. And I felt nothing because it was asleep. And as I stood up on my two legs, One leg did not work. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Here it comes. And I crashed to the floor, all of my body weight on top of my leg, which did not work at the time. And what happened? I broke my foot. Yes,
1: she did. (laughs) (laughs) Broke a whole bone in her foot. I
0: broke a bone in my foot. Not a toe. A real bone. An actual foot bone. Not that the toe, I mean, that is painful. But, like, a bone. In the foot part. But what happened? I didn't realize because all the anesthesia was still coursing through my body and I
1: felt nothing. (laughs) Everything feels fine. People
0: ran over to me. Are you okay? Are you okay? They were asking. Oh, I'm fine, I'm just fine. Someone helped me up. I shook my legs a little, I pounded on them. Pins and needles came. They worked again. I walked up. I paid. I left the hospital. I walked to the subway. I got on the train. I sat down. I sat in the subway chair for an hour until it was my stop. And when I got up, the feelings in my leg were back. Uh Uh-oh. And I could not put any weight on my foot. And Uh I was like, what is going on? Oh, my God. It's so painful. Oh, my God. We all
1: know what was going on. (laughs) And I looked down
0: my, like, my, seriously, my ankle. So what happened was when I collapsed, I like crushed my ankle, so I sprained my ankle really badly. And on spraining my ankle, there's like a ligament that is in the front, so that ligament snapped my bone. (laughs) Oh my my goodness! (laughs) Yeah, because I basically just like I didn't just roll my ankle. I like, like, I literally just like collapsed all your weight onto your ankle, so I broke my foot bone and I couldn't get off the train because I couldn't put any weight on my foot and I had no crutches and I had no one with me to help me because I had told many 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 times to my boyfriend who I, I got this no 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 I'll be fine no 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 I don't she want, was want to not burden fine. you she was not so fine so guess who couldn't even get off the train you, you. me <laughs> okay so I like so I managed to hop off the train using the bars and the seat and the wall all these japanese people just staring at me like Whoa. <laughs> what is this foreigner doing? I'm like,
1: this foreigner is having
0: major her issues her right now. Okay. She feels really weird and woozy. Like she, yeah. She looked really weird and woozy. <laughs> <laughs> I missed my stop. I got off like six stations later because that's literally how long it took me to hop from my seat to the door. And then I had to call my boyfriend and I had to ask him to get on the train to come get me at the station that I was at and then piggyback me back onto the train and then piggyback me back to the hospital that I had left an hour ago. I went back to the hospital where I broke my foot in the hospital but didn't realize because I had been alone and had been too out of it to realize. And so I ended up with nothing wrong on my colonoscopy. There was nothing wrong. But there was something wrong with your
1: foot and ankle now. (laughs) (laughs) And then I
0: ended up with a cast on my foot. Oh, so you were
1: pregnant and on crutches instead.
0: (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Yeah, and let me tell you, when you have a cast on your foot and you live on the second floor of an old Japanese building with no elevator, you're in need of a lot of assistance. And my fear of not being a burden turned me into, now I don't want to say a burden because I wasn't a burden, but it turned me into someone who needed more help than I previously needed. But in my mind, that means that I was
1: a burden. So let's all learn from Amy, and if somebody offers you help genuinely, you should probably take their help. Let's not put assumptions onto other people. Or you could end up with a broken foot, where every time you get your period, you can't walk again because it gets all inflamed around the scar tissue. Right, Amy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A
0: constant (laughs) reminder of the day that I had said,
1: insisted I could do everything on my own. I was so independent. She gets reminded every month that she can ask for help and accept it. So you don't need a, a reminder that that is that visceral or that physical, okay? Take it from Amy. Also, I want you to know
0: that, as Brittany said, after my foot bone healed, which took like three months, every single period, My foot bone would ache, and I had a limp during my period because of the previously broken foot bone. And I know that might sound really unbelievable, but I've seen it. (laughs) Well, and I want to say that when I went to my excision, when I finally found my excision surgeon after 16 years of serious suffering, as I was laying out all my symptoms, you know, my 25-page list of all the things that were wrong with me, one of the things that I mentioned and I said, I know this sounds really out there, but when I get my period, I cannot put any weight on my foot because of a bone that I previously broke. And he said, that's because of the inflammation pain. That's because your period and the endometriosis is bringing such high inflammation throughout your whole body that old injuries are flaring. And I was like, oh my God, you, you're just like, Thank you so much for understanding the endometriosis <laughs> body. I mean, that's pretty pretty incredible. Yeah, and it, what's well, very validating, but it also just shows how much knowledge when you go to work with an expert, how they really understand how endometriosis can affect the entire body. And symptoms that many times we're being dismissed or we're being told that's not associated are actually associated with endometriosis, and they're able to make the connection. Oh, and by the way, since excision... I no longer have a limp during my period. A miracle, surely. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so it indeed was the high levels of endo inflammation that was causing that.
1: I think something that I've been noticing about feeling like a burden, the idea of that feeling is that it's not necessarily the illness or the need for help because of the illness that makes us feel like a burden. I feel like It's the feelings that are already inside of us. So let me explain what I mean. Many of us struggle with the guilt we talked about, the feelings of insecurity, the feelings that we're not good enough, we're not adequate, we don't have enough value on our own. And I feel like when we're struggling with an illness so severe as endometriosis, it really shines a huge spotlight right on that. Core of us, where we're already struggling with those feelings, because essentially our vulnerabilities are laid bare. It's like peeling away all of the layers, and all you see are those fears and those festering feelings that we deal with on a daily basis. And that is so scary. That is such a scary place to be in where we feel like we have no value. We can't offer anything to anybody else because all we are is a drain. We always need stuff. We can't help other people. It's not just because of the endometriosis. It's because those feelings have already been there. Of course, these feelings are lies, but when we're dealing with them, they don't feel like lies. They feel like the truth. It feels like, of course, I can't help anybody out. So of course, I'm not helpful, which means I'm not valuable, which means nobody could possibly care about me or love me. And that's absolutely not the truth. That's not even close to the truth. But we have those feelings inside of us. And when we have to ask for help because we have something like endometriosis, it's just showing those feelings right on our sleeve. And that's so terrifying. You know, it's funny because as you say that, it makes so much
0: sense to me now. But now that I have really tackled these feelings of Being a burden and try to work through them and figure out where they came from and figure out why I had these feelings. But I think back, you know, even two, three years ago when you were taking me to my colonoscopy and I was falling over myself, apologizing, I wouldn't have connected that in my case. My feelings of being a burden were because at my deepest core, I felt in a way I felt worthless, in a way that I felt that my value is very small. I had these subconscious feelings of, what do I bring to the world? Why would someone love me? Looking back on all these years living with endometriosis, I think that endometriosis has brought out the best and the worst in me. It has brought out the best in me and in so many of us because we have learned that we are determined and courageous and strong and resilient. And we have this incredible tenacity to get through whatever comes our way. But it has brought out the worst in me because it has really exacerbated feelings, subconscious feelings of inadequacy and lack of self-worth that I already had inside of me that I didn't even know were there. Waiting to come out, festering, waiting to be reversed.
1: Burst from your chest like an alien. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Ooh, wait. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like a dragon. (laughs) I feel like all the challenges of endometriosis really brought to the surface. All of these stories and these lies, like Brittany said, like these lies that I told myself about how my value was wrapped up in my productivity and my ability to help others and my ability to be independent. When endometriosis robbed that from me, when it made it so that I had to ask other people for help on simple tasks that I, quote unquote, should have been able to do on my own. When it became difficult to have energy and take a shower and make dinner for myself and be intimate with my partner and just be able to get out of bed. I saw my life transform and having to be so vulnerable and need the help of others and not be able to be productive and all of these values that I had assigned to myself that meant that I meant something in this world, that I was important, all of that was stripped away. And it left me grappling with these feelings of what is my purpose in this world? What is my value if I'm not busy doing things, achieving things, accomplishing things, producing things, checking things off my to-do list, helping others? What is my value? And then at my core, I just felt like I was a bother. I just felt like I was a drain on other people.
1: I think it's really important to talk about how we value ourselves. And that's kind of at the core of this topic. As we've joked throughout this episode, I have a lot of trouble setting up boundaries around my work-life balance.
0: I feel like the more (laughs) Brittany, which is so great that she's acknowledging that, is she's like, no, I don't have those boundary issues. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. I do. (laughs) I'm sure you don't work at 8 p.m. with Mushu, like, hunched over the heating pad, like,
1: yeah, I can work late, sure.
0: Oh, you want me to fly to you want me to fly tomorrow across the country okay. uh, on last minute notice? Yeah, yeah, I can do that, too. <laughs> so I think it's really good that Brittany is acknowledging how far she's come with all of her issues around work. Thank you, Amy. Not that I have anyone to talk but I broke my foot because I said <laughs>
1: no. Hey, you grew, so. though, okay? We're growing. <laughs> I'm not going to break my foot again. Well, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is growth, okay? But for me, it took a lot of self-evaluation to understand why I have trouble putting up boundaries or saying no to extra projects. So I had to do a lot of self-reflection and I had to go investigate those feelings of why do I feel like I have to say yes? Why do I feel obligated? Why do I feel like I have to always bend over backwards? So it was a scary deep dive to go into the core of who I am and swim around in those feelings. Yeah, I'd be scared to go into the depths of Britney's <laughs> mind. It's really weird in there. (laughs) But I'd be more scared to go in the depths of my own mind, to be honest. I think Well, going spelunking in your own mind is a hefty task, but it's worth it, okay? (laughs) But I had to kind of grapple with why I feel this way, and ultimately it derived from where I gained my value. And it had to do with this lie that I told myself, and all of us have one or more lies that we tell ourselves that kind of affects how we see ourselves and in terms of our identity. So for me, those lies were things like, If I don't do it perfectly, if I don't do it the best, if I don't volunteer for everything, if I'm not useful, if I'm not needed, then I have no value. And none of that is true because our value is not derived from what we do or how we do it. It's derived from who we are and how we treat those around us and the way we treat ourselves. So I had to really learn that if I'm not the best at something or if I'm not absolutely needed. I mean, Amy needs me, but if my work doesn't absolutely need me, that doesn't mean that I have no value to them. And that doesn't mean that I'm valueless. And so learning that, understanding and accepting that, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting closer towards being able to enforce the boundaries that I've made around work. And it's helped me to also see the true value in myself and foster that rather than foster this false idea of value. So spending more time fostering my relationships with others and my relationship with myself, how I see the world, how I treat the people around me, that's my true value. And that's where I've been able to focus rather than where my value is fleeting and it's not true. So I think that that's a really tough thing to do. (laughs) and It wasn't done in one night, but it really helps us to remove ourselves from that feeling of we're a burden Because you can't be a burden if you don't believe that you're a burden. And if your value doesn't come from lies that you're telling yourself that makes you feel like one.
0: So I heard both of us saying that we were deriving our value from these ideals and expectations that were kind of imposed on us from society. Brittany, you were thinking you had to be the perfect worker, get everything done. I bet you were an A-plus student. <laughs> nothing wrong with getting A pluses, but if you put so much pressure on yourself, then we don't have to be perfect. Okay, okay, light like trying, lighten up, Brittany. You can get an A minus. <laughs> no, not an A minus. I don't do anything less than hundred oh, percent. Yeah, I know. That's why you're on this podcast. I know. Okay.
1: <laughs> bring the thunder. To the she podcast. says you can have boundaries with everything else, but the podcast, you bring A plus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, ma'am. <laughs>
0: And I was getting my value from being independent and helpful and always being people's go-to person. But here's the question, Brittany. If our value doesn't lie in being productive and being perfect and being achievers and getting everything done in our to-do list perfectly as an A-plus to-do list, then where do our values lie? <laughs> Bite snails nervously for a second time in episode. (laughs) You're very nervous in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Because we're talking about all my insecurities (laughs) and it's really hard. It's real fun, you know? So, Brittany, who are you? And who am I? If we are so deeply seeped in these stories that we're telling ourselves about how we have no value and no worth if we're not achieving and producing and doing all of these things, it can be really hard. To turn that eye inward on ourselves and see where our true value lies outside of that. Because we've lived for so long with our identity wrapped up in that, it can be really impossible at first to see something else. So we want to invite you to think about someone. We're going to do an exercise. That you love and think about the value that you find
1: in them. Okay, so the person I'm going to pick will be... Me! Okay, but it's too obvious if I pick you. Oh, The listeners are all tired of me picking you all the time. That's (laughs) true. So I'm going to pick my partner, okay? All right, well then, I won't
0: pick you. I'm going to pick my partner. That's my kitty.
1: (laughs) No one's surprised. (laughs) Yeah,
0: the firstborn kitty, not the secondborn.
1: Oh, shun the (laughs) secondborn. Yeah, so I'm going to pick little Suki. Okay, that's fair. It doesn't have to be a person. It can just be something that you feel an immense... Amount of love towards. All right. So does everybody have their person or being that they are thinking about? Yes. Okay. Great.
0: Is anyone else choosing their cat,
1: like or dog? Fine. Or iguana or Uh, snake. Oh, they're on iguana or fish. Fine. Any animal. Okay. (laughs) We love all animals. (laughs) All animals are equally valid. (laughs) Although cats rule. But.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Brittany. Hater of all animals choosing her husband over her dog, but whatever. (laughs) Tell me why your husband has value to you. Is it because he was half off at the supermarket in the egg
1: section and none of his eggs were broken? I mean, I wouldn't have bought a discount husband. (laughs) (laughs) Things that make my partner important to me are the way he supports me, his sense of humor and goofiness and how he makes me feel. I love how when I am just finishing my period and he knows I'm feeling miserable, he always draws me a monthly bath and gets me in a nice bubble bath and it makes me feel so much better. And I love how he can always make me smile even when I'm having a really rough day and I'm really burned out. And he always knows how to give me the best hugs and make me feel comforted. I have a million, but like those are the first ones I could think of. Okay, Amy, your turn. Yahoo! What makes Suki so important to you? Suki is the love of my
0: life. No, she's not. That's oh. a lie. You're the love of my life? Yes. Okay, <laughs> Suki is the second. <laughs> my boyfriend does listen to this podcast, so <laughs> yes, yes, I love you too. And But Suki, my love, she's something special. She's a baby. She's your baby. She's my little baby. And she is so important to me, and she brings me value because... She is always there for me. She's been there for me in the worst moments. She's been there for me during the most terrible pain flares when I have been on the ground, writhing and sobbing and begging for the pain to stop. And she has been right there on the carpet, looking at mommy, wondering
1: what's wrong, allowing you to squeeze her real tight.
0: (laughs) And she has been there for me when I recovered from surgery, and she is there for me when I'm having a good day, too, and I can pick her up in my arms and I can say, Mommy loves you. Like a little baby. It's so cute. She's so (laughs) cute. And I love that she is also so goofy, like Britney's husband. I mean, yeah,
1: they're pretty much the same level of goofiness. (laughs) And she,
0: you know, she just, she's a cat. She does these really silly things and you're having a bad day and they
1: just like fall off the bed or, Trip over their own legs—that's
0: I mean, great. Animals are hilarious. <laughs> gets caught up in a sock, you know, gets stuck. Oh, like, classic in the sock on my head. I'm like, you were the one who went in there. You try to get it off yourself. <laughs> she always comforts me. She sleeps with me at night in my legs. She'll come curl up when we're taking a nap. When I'm working on the podcast, she'll come sit next to the computer, and she's just always there for me. She's the best company. I can tell her anything and I know my secret will always be safe with her. And she's a really good listener. That's because
1: she can't talk or get away. Well, that's what her
0: job is. She's (laughs) a cat, okay? But she also loves me because I can see it. She does. And I Google, does my cat love me? And Google (laughs) affirmed.
1: That cats? Yes, of course. Lo- cats feel affection. Well, lo- I love. just had to be sure that she just like you have to ask me all the time if I really love you. Okay, see where it comes from. I, Did you it, Google that? I does Google, Britney love me?
0: Does Brittany love me? And they were like, Brittany Spears. Ow! <laughs> <like>, no, no. <laughs> Brittany Spears. But hi, Brittany. But does Britney Spears love? Me? I mean, maybe I don't I know. Mean, if you're the all-knowing internet that's going to answer all the questions for me, then I mean, <laughs> then I'll ask. Sure, I'm interested.
1: <laughs> so I know we're joking a little bit, but. You know, we're both being very serious. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm not joking at all. Those are all the real
0: reasons why I love my <laughs> no, cat I, I mean, as we're, love we're number one, numero
1: uno, mm-hmm, Brittany. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Is your cat going to go with you to your next colonoscopy? I don't think so. Well, maybe as my emotional support animal, okay, so fair. boom. <laughs> fair. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, all jokes aside, we're being very serious about the things that we feel from from the beings that we love. I be, I feel
0: like I just got married to my cat. I wish she was here right now. Oh, Brittany, you're allergic. Oh, you ruined everything for me. Seriously, oh, if, Brit, if my kitty was here, I'd put a ring on her tail right now. And she would be, shake it off. Yeah, she'd be trying to get it off. She'd be like, "Is this a new toy?" I'm like,
1: "No." I the point is, is that a lot of what we said has a lot of similarities to it. All of the qualities that we feel make the person or baby important to us all have to do with. How they make us feel, and just their mere presence, and that's really interesting. I don't find value in my partner because he has a salary and works a job, or because he gets perfect grades, or because he's capable of going to the grocery store and cooking and cleaning up the dishes. None of those things. Although I'm just—I mean, those intro- are great.
0: <laughs> that, that is a nice perk. I mean, I really wish Suki ha- could could do the dishes do the dishes
1: for me. So. But But I love her anyway. doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter. The point is, is those things are are things, are facts, or, you know, they are what they are. But none of those things are what I think of when I think of why my partner is important to me.
0: Well, it's funny because I feel like as I was describing my cat, I could have been describing your husband. Or as you were describing your husband, you could have really been describing my little precious baby, Suki. Okay. Yeah, you can't just say cat. You have to, like, put all the adjectives. Your cat. No, Brittany. Your cat.
1: No. My husband, your cat. Your husband, my (laughs) precious little baby, little furball, so cute. Okay, fine.
0: (laughs) But I feel like what both of us have said is that their value is in their loving presence, in their ability to comfort us, in their ability to be by our side in their ability to support us, in their ability to listen to us, in their ability to make us laugh, in their ability to give us amazing company, in their ability to make us feel like we're loved. Okay, so now for the second question, we want you to think about how you would feel if this being that you love and value so much had endometriosis. So, for example, Brittany, if your husband had endometriosis and you occasionally had to clean up his vomit, or you had to take on all of the chores for three months while he was recovering from surgery, or if he wasn't able to be intimate with you for six months because he was in pain, would your love for him
1: change? None of those things would change what makes him important to me or why I love him or how I feel about him. I would help support him through all of those things without thinking twice just because I love him. (laughs) Let's all cry together. (laughs) Well, that's I think that's important to think about is all those things that we see of ourselves as being blocks to receiving love would we withhold love from somebody else if they were experiencing that instead? I think we'd almost all have a resounding no. Okay, Amy, your turn. If Suki had endometriosis, that would be horrible, but if Suki had endometriosis and you had to clean up more of her hairballs than you currently do, a little more diarrhea and vomit too, and since you already do all your cat's chores, what if you also had to wash her every day and comb her fur every day for two hours because of the endometriosis somehow this makes sense just go with me bear with me and if you could never cuddle her because every time you touched her she screamed in pain would that make you love her any less no that'd
0: be so sad if we couldn't cuddle
1: (laughs) i'm even sad for you thinking about it oh my
0: god but no I would love my little baby Suki just the same because she's just so cute and precious and adorable and I love her and it doesn't matter. I mean, I already scoop up her poopies every single night and when she vomits, I have to clean that up. And she had really raging. So she got really sick like a couple months ago. She ate a cockroach. Ah, Oh, God. And it made her really sick. And then I had to have the whole apartment sprayed and it was really awful because I had to move everything and I was alone. It was very tiring. She didn't even ask for help. <laughs> I, I did not. No, Brittany, I asked. You didn't
1: need it. <laughs> I No, I did.
0: I asked the neighbor to help me. Oh, you did. That's yeah. true. I went down and I asked the neighbor to help me move it's all so the proud. stuff. so proud she's growing. To the middle of the room because my boyfriend was traveling and I had no one to help me. So I did not hurt myself and do it by myself as the previous Amy would She didn't would've. break her other
1: foot or an <laughs> arm or a phalange or something.
0: <laughs> but my little baby kitty, she got really sick and... I had to work from home for a whole week because of it, because she had outrageous diarrhea because she wanted to be just like mommy. And she was having accidents outside of the box, and they were really stinky, and they were contagious. So if the other cat ingested that, then that cat could have got the same bacterial infection that she had. It was a lot of work, and I wondered if cats could wear a diaper. And (laughs) I mean, they can't. (laughs) I can't say that I didn't try to put some fabric on the back of her, but she just kept
1: wiggling it off. (laughs)
0: Chewing it off. So I was like, fine. I'll just every time you look like you're gonna poo, I'll just run over with baby wipes. But I was happy to do it because I love my little baby. I love her. Why wouldn't I want to take care of her? Why on earth would I abandon the thing that I love in one of the most difficult and vulnerable and challenging moments of her life? Why would I do that? What kind of terrible person would I be? So, no, she's not a burden and she'll never be a burden, even if I can't cuddle her and even if I have to shave off all her fur. Oh, wow. Well,
1: <laughs> that went dramatic. I mean, that's what makes her cute, right? So, <laughs> I thought it was her precious little face and her
0: ears and her big eyes. Yeah, but how would she look if she had no fur? She'd look weird. I think the weird. furless
1: cats are really cute.
0: Well, they're like born furless. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's like they're breed. made to be that way. So, my point is even if Suki lost all of her beauty and she lost all of her fur, And I had to take care of her and she couldn't walk anymore. And I had to carry her from one window to watch the birdies to the other window to watch the other birdies in the back of the house. I would do that.
1: I'd even give my life for her. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) But fair, like I would die for Miro, so that's fine. (laughs) I heard you say a line in there, which is actually the third question, which is if all of this were going on for the person or the being that you loved would you find them a burden? And we know you wouldn't find Suki a burden. I wouldn't find my husband a burden. And if the person you're thinking about, you wouldn't find them a burden, the fourth step is to turn that on yourself. And remember how you feel about this person is likely how the people that love you feel about you. And it's us who are struggling with that self-doubt and that lack of self-worth. So remember that the people or beings that love you don't think you're a burden, just like you don't think that they're a burden.
0: I just want to point out that Suki would never think I was a burden. She thinks I'm a goddess because... Well, she couldn't tell you either way, I feed her. Okay. (laughs) Uh, My boyfriend was like, she knows she loves you because you're the hand that feeds her. I was like, um, sorry... And pets her her and loves her and holds her. (laughs) First of all, sorry that you're jealous that she loves me more than you. And second of all, Suki loves mommy because mommy
1: takes care of her. The most. Yeah, you're the primary caregiver. So what we just described are relationships of unconditional love, where the love has no rules on what you have to do in order to obtain it. The love doesn't have a limit on how productive or the expectations you have to meet in order to receive it. The love from my partner to each other and from Suki are unconditional. Unfortunately, not all of the relationships that we're surrounded with are unconditional in their love. And there can be relationships, either romantic or friendship, any other kind of relationship, that have conditions, that have expectations that are being demanded to be met in order for us to receive that love. And those relationships are toxic relationships. It can be really hard to identify those types of relationships. And it can be really scary and damaging, especially if you've been in a relationship with that person for a very long time. But as we're trying to, learn our own value we have to be very cognizant of how these people make us feel because they can impede our growth i have had a lot of
0: insecurity around my romantic relationships for as long as i can remember and part of that just stems from my own insecurities and and part of that came from me wanting to be liked and insecurities that i got when i was younger like from being bullied and not paid attention to and Different things that happen to many of us that can really shape our self worth as we're growing. I ended up in a relationship in my early 20s with a person who he was a very nice guy, but he really did not believe that there was anything wrong with me. I was really new to having all of these really debilitating and overwhelming symptoms, I was not handling it very well. I did not have my stellar diet and lifestyle and like all the different tactics that I have now that have helped me be in a little more control of my body. So I was just flaring all the time and breaking plans and, you know, we'd say, oh, we're going to go to this festival. And then an hour before the festival, I would be too sick and I wouldn't be able to go and things like that. And we would go out to dinner and I wouldn't be able to find on the menu anything that I felt was safe to eat. And so just like all these little things were happening where he would start getting really annoyed at me and he began to make these cutting remarks about how unreliable I was or how annoying I was or how difficult I always was with all my special needs and all my special situations. And how everything always had to be about me and about what I needed and how I always needed so many special things. And I didn't realize at the time that his love towards me was conditional and that also it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with his capacity to love and the way that he and perhaps the examples of love that he had been shown that he was not capable of giving me unconditional love. And so his love came with a condition and the condition was that I was healthy and that I didn't ever need anything and that I wasn't in pain during my period because, you know, being in pain is so bothersome. And already, since I had these insecurities inside of myself, it was like I saw it as a reinforcement of these lies that I was telling myself that I was such a drain and that I was such a burden when I had him making these cruel, cutting remarks that were just validating what I already felt about myself. It just felt like, oh, these things, they were so true and he was right and he was just telling me these truths, but they weren't truths at all. It was anything but the truth.
1: In my opinion, people who talk to you that way or treat you that way don't love you the way that you deserve to be loved. And that goes for everybody listening. If somebody talks to you that way or treats you like you are less than or inadequate, they are not loving you the way that you deserve to be loved. I think most of us have probably had relationships in our life where we may have recognized that it's run its course or it's not the most healthy or it's not what we're looking for. And we've had to let that relationship go. And some of us may be in a friendship or romantic relationship right now where we may be thinking that this isn't right for us, or I feel like I'm always being torn down or I'm not supported. And you may not be able to let go of that relationship right now, or in one year, or five years. But I do think it's really important to recognize how we deserve to be loved, and that when we're spending time with somebody who cuts us down, they're also cutting down the ability that we have to love ourselves? Well,
0: I think that's a really important point. And I think that, well, first I want to clarify that that guy that I was dating, it wasn't a bad person. And so it wasn't like he was actively telling me, oh, you're such a burden or like he never used those words like, oh, you're so annoying. It was more in the way that he reacted to the things that I needed. Like, If we would go to a restaurant and then I would begin asking the waitress, like, oh, is this gluten free or does this have any secret ingredients in it? He would roll his eyes or he would say to the waitress, like, oh, I'm sorry. She always does this instead of supporting me and making sure that I was able to get the food that I needed in order to feel good. Or if we were driving home from the restaurant and I said, you know what? I really need to go to the bathroom. Can you stop and pull the car over he would start saying like, here, but there's no bathroom around, but it's the bushes, but you want to go here? Can you just hold it until we get home? Seriously, you're going to go in the bathroom on the side of the road? That's disgusting. Whereas with the partner that I have now, like a couple of years ago, I accidentally pooed, oopsie, in front of him in my pants because I made a new soup. Garlic is not my friend. And that is what I learned. And my stomach just like rolled somehow. My intestines were like, Whoa. and then I just pooed. And I was like, um, I think I just pooed. And we were in the car and he was like, okay, well, let's roll the windows down and let's turn around and let's go home. And why don't you just shower and change your clothes? And then we'll go back out because we were like going to pick up a table that we had found on Craigslist. And he was so cool about it. Like, it wasn't all this like, ew, you're disgusting. How could you do that? Can't you just clench your butt crack? (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Muscular butt crack. (laughs) I just feel like butt crack is like the topic of the day. But the point is like the way that my partner in my life who loves me unconditionally and supports me now is so different from the behavior that I experienced from this one of the first boyfriends that I had. And I really feel that shaped the way that I saw myself. And like Brittany said, it really like, All of those little cruel, cutting comments that were kind of seemingly innocent, but just really like sank deep into my psyche, they just kind of kept reinforcing those lies that I have, that I was believing about myself, that I was a burden, that I was a drain, that my illness was baggage, really, really big baggage, that who would love a person with such big baggage with endometriosis? Nobody. And that is just so far from the truth. And then in my next relationships, I really think that highly contributed to my fear of communicating that I would have loved if my boyfriend went to the hospital with me for my colonoscopy. But I was so used to receiving like a conditional love that I was afraid that if I said yes too many times to his help, that he would get tired of me. I was afraid that if I told him that I actually really didn't want to be intimate because sex was causing me stabbing vagina knife pains, that maybe he would leave me. And so over the past decade, it's been such a struggle for me to learn that I am not a burden and I can state what I need and I can ask for help and I can vomit in our floor and my boyfriend can clean it up. Sorry, but you can without me being a burden because ultimately the feelings of being a burden, they were inside of me. And even though I need the same things that I needed a decade ago, even though I still need my special food and my special foam when I travel and I poo myself sometimes, I no longer consider myself a burden. I consider myself an amazing, incredible person that you can have the pleasure of being around no you were like oh my god that just snuck in like she's so (laughs) full of herself but good we should be confident we should know our value we are such amazing incredible human beings like sure i'm sick a lot and sure i need help sometimes to get from the bed to the toilet but i'm also really good at listening i'm also really good at showing my love i'm also really good at at caring about my partner, about caring about his hopes and his goals and supporting him in his dreams. We're a team because while he does many things for me because I have endometriosis, I do many things for him. He doesn't do it because I'm sick. He does it because he loves me, just like I reciprocate that love in my own way.
1: We hope that this episode has really helped you to start thinking about how you see yourself, where you ascribe your value, I think it's really important to do that spelunking into our inner core of what we think makes us valuable. Because only after we realize where our value comes from, can we start working on understanding that we are absolutely not a burden if there's relationships that are in our lives where we feel like those lies inside of us are being reinforced by those people, it's really important to evaluate those relationships, but we can only do that after we've realized our value. And it's a lot of work and it's a long road to get there, but it's so transformative because it helps us with so many other things like setting our own boundaries and knowing our needs and ensuring that we have what we need to live the most fulfilled life that we can. If we continue to believe those lies that are deeply rooted inside of us, and we continue to feel like a burden, then all of the relationships that we have in our life, both romantic, friendship, or otherwise even working relationships, can be affected by that. And our relationship with ourself is affected by that. So the same way that those lies can make us believe that we're a burden and that nobody else can love us and we're not worthy of the love of others, changing those lies to the truths can help us to not feel like we're a burden, to help us to understand the love that we deserve, to help us to enrich our relationships with others and our relationship with ourselves, And ultimately, loving ourselves is one of the most important things we can learn to do in our entire lives.
0: Yeah, I used to hear so much about self-love when I was younger, and I really didn't understand the concept. And when people would talk about the importance of loving ourselves and self-love, like, I would literally just roll my eyes and be like, oh, my God, seriously, like, oh, Talking about self-love again. Oh, the self-love. And that's because I personally did that because I didn't realize at the time, but I was really lacking in self-love. And I had a very conditional love with myself where... I felt that I had to be beautiful and helpful and likable and that I always had to perform and meet expectations in order to be worthy of love. As I've really worked on figuring out who I am as a person with endometriosis, figuring out where my value lies, and I've found so much self-love for myself. To the point where now, the way that I feel about myself, I realize it's self-love is so much more than just like, oh, I love myself. It's about I respect myself. I value myself. Like Brittany said, I have boundaries now that I did not have a decade ago. I'm able to speak up for myself, to advocate for myself, to end relationships that are toxic to me, and to put myself first and not run myself ragged trying to put first the needs of everyone else in my life just so that they'll like me and I'll feel loved so finding more love for ourselves has such bigger implication on our lives and it can be such a positive force in our life to help us find peace and comfort and happiness in the life that we're living, in the people around us, and ultimately in ourselves. So what I learned is that we should just love ourselves so much more. And so much more. When we love ourselves more, I think it also increases our own capacity to love the people in our lives unconditionally and to have that unconditional love for the people around us. And nothing bad ever came from more love,
1: <laughs> from loving each other fuller and richer and loving ourselves better.
0: So we just want all of you to know how much we love all of you. Cheesy as that sounds, it's very true. You know, we care so deeply about everyone in this community. And we want everyone in this community to know how valuable you are, how important you are in this world. And most importantly, that you are not a burden. You are not a burden by any means. So next time your silly trickster mind begins to tell you, Oh, you're such a burden because of XYZ. All those stinking, sneaky lies. You come back and you say, Brittany and Amy <laughs> told me that I'm not a burden. Not a burden. And those girls are really wise. I think they're kind of like goddesses.
1: So oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Amy said that on me. <laughs> Amy has so much self-love for herself that (laughs) she's like 180, you know, like flipped all the way around. I mean, if this needs to become your mantra, honestly, I think it should be a note on your mirror every morning while you're getting ready. I am not a burden. A note on your steering wheel on a sticky note so you remember on your drive to work. I am not a burden. Oh, my God, a tattoo that you get on your forearm. I am not a burden. And I I mean, mean... that could be beautiful. (laughs) But it is something that we have to reinforce over time. What we're talking about is not a epiphany switch. This is a lot of work to learn, not only that we're not a burden, but how much of an asset we are to those around us and to this community and to the people that we love.
0: Thank you so much for listening today. We love talking to you about these topics and sharing all the different things that we have learned and we would love if you reached out to us and you let us know what are some things that make you so unique and such an asset to the world what do you think of your best qualities we would love if you want to reach out and let us know we would love to learn more about you you can reach out to us on instagram at in 16 years of endo and our website in 16 years.com And if you love the
1: podcast, it would be awesome if you can share us on social media and help other people who are living with endometriosis to join this community we have here. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today.